Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com slash events. Welcome to the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. Here, we settle into the murky, tangled, and freaking hard parts of life to restore our relationship with the self so it can ripple out to the people we love, the work we do, and the world around us. If we can't fix what's wrong, then our grandchildren inherit it. In order to fix what's wrong, we have to talk about it. And we can't move that conversation forward if we're not willing to be real about where we are now. We have to push on the edges of what it means to connect. Otherwise, nothing will ever change. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, and I'm here to guide you through a series of radically honest conversations about what it means to be truly human in all of its messy, beautiful, hilarious, and heartbreaking glory. In our collective effort of looking inward, we're starting to do the outward work to reconnect the world. While these discussions will guide you into the connectfulness practice, this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for the depth of work that you'd encounter with a licensed provider. If something in this episode touches you, reach out. That's where you initiate the ripple that restores relationships. You can learn more about my connectfulness counseling practice at connectfulness.com. Okay, dear listeners, before we get into today's episode, I have such a treat for you. You've probably heard me talking about the RLT Essential Skills Relationship Bootcamp that we have coming up October 24th and 25th. And right now, you're going to get to hear a little bit from both of my co-facilitators, Jules Shore and Vicki Issa. We're going to all be telling you about why we're so excited to offer this boot camp. It's a two-day experiential training workshop for couples, for individuals, for therapists who are training in the RLT model. I'm so jazzed to bring this to you because it is transformational. I teach this stuff every day when I'm working with my clients and to be able to teach it in two full days, you're going to hear a lot about this during this episode about why this is, I mean, Jules, you can, you can talk to this, but why this is such a big deal to get it in this big information burst all at once in this experiential way. This is life changing stuff. And I'm not alone in thinking this, right? Absolutely. Right. right. <laughs> this is Jules. I'm from Austin, Texas, and I'm going to give you a teaser that I'm not going to tell you right now why it's so essential for you to do it all compressed like this, because in this podcast, I actually tell you exactly why it's so helpful. And right now, I just want to share with people, I love this boot camp. My husband and I have been three times. We love it. It's transformed our relationship. It's transformed both of us personally, whether you're an individual or a couple, I hope you can make it because it's, I'm just so glad Terry asked me to do it because to be able to be part of offering these skills uh, to people is such an honor. And I am Vicki, the third co-facilitator, and I'm in Norwood, Mass. I too have been to the boot camp and found such essential skills from it. <laughs> I'm very transformative. It's all the skills without the therapy piece, um, which means as I'm going through my own therapy and getting healthier, I can add in the skills and enrich them on my own. 
and I teach it to my clients as well. So to get it in a condensed weekend is so beneficial and helpful. And when Terry asked if I wanted to be a part of training and teaching it, it was a no-brainer. So we all really are jazzed about this, as you can hear, and can't wait for you to check it out at connectfulness.com slash offerings, and we hope that you'll join us. I'm sitting here today with Julianne Shore. I call her Jules. Jules became a therapist because, as she said, she stumbled into a therapist's office when she was in a hard space, fought with him for several months over whether or not feelings are important. She argued that they were not, and found herself at the other end, transformed. Jules remembers the day she looked up at him from a grubby couch in a low-cost clinic and said, Patrick, how did you get your job? I think I might want it. So she went to grad school a bit after that. She still thought the whole thing was probably woo-woo BS and studied the neuroscience to try to prove herself wrong. And so here she is, writing, speaking, running intensive trauma recovery sessions and relational healing workshops and couples intensives and teaching interpersonal neurobiology to anyone who will listen. Jules, thank you for being here with me again. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, always. I have been been binging your podcast like crazy lately. And it is, I don't know. I love the messiness and the depth. And I just, I think it's so welcome. Thank you. At this moment in time and in our healing journey as a larger culture. Mm. So thanks for putting it out there. And I love being a part of it. Oh gosh. Yeah. I love that you are a part of it. And I'm, you know, you're coming back. You joined us back in was it March or April that I can't even had you? remember I don't now remember either, but it, do the days mean anything anymore? <laughs> um, I don't really know, <laughs> but um, you and I and our colleague Vicki are leading a RLT relational life boot camp. Um, couples essential, or not just couples, but it's a relationship essential skills boot camp. October twenty fourth and twenty fifth of twenty twenty. That's right, and yeah. it's online, so everybody can come safely. Yeah. And pretty much from anywhere. We have people joining us from all over the place. All over the world, actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's really exciting. So I wanted to bring you back on today because as we have been preparing for our boot camp and diving back in, we have been having such delicious conversations. (laughs) And it feels like some of those conversations need to be shared. Um, You are such a depth of knowledge. And... I love learning with you and from you. Um, And I love sharing your work with my listeners. So I wanted to talk today with you about this big topic that my brain is still wrapping around that you have introduced me to. And that's memory reconsolidation. I love memory reconsolidation. Tell me why. So it is the neurobiological explanation of how healing occurs in the subcortical system. So think about it like this. You're born into this world, a little teeny tiny ball of need. And your needs are vast and varied. And we could probably break them down into about five categories. This comes straight out of the attachment literature, straight out of developmental uh, neuroscience. 
They are safe, heard, seen, soothed, and matter. So safe is the environment around me providing shelter, warmth, food. Safe are there scary, surprising things happening around my body a lot. Is there any violence or do I grow up in a space where there's food scarcity or where um, I was born into a place where there was war happening, right? That would mean my safety needs were not met. For a lot of us, those are fine, actually. For a lot of us, they aren't, right? Heard, when I cry, does someone come? Understood seen, seen into. Like when you don't get why I'm crying, does that get really frustrating for you? Do you give up? Do you force what you think I want on me? Or do you wait and listen and try to get it? Trying to get it is enough, by the way, to meet that need. You don't have to get it perfect or anything. Soothed. So when an infant is born into this planet, they're the only pathways, I'm going to use a super neurosciencey word for a second. The only pathways that are myelinated are the cornico-bulbar pathways, which is in charge of sucking reflux so that you can eat. So myelin is a fatty sheath wrapped around axons that make them work incredibly well. In order for you to have smooth energy and information flow, smooth electrical communication down your axons, you need myelin. The one that regulates your heart is unmyelinated at birth. You need a parent, a caretaker, another being who already has a grown system to rock you, to use baby talk prosody. And this would be why kangaroo care is so important, when, mm-hmm. especially when kids, when, when infants are born early, mm-hmm. to keep them so close, chest to chest, skin to skin. Mm-hmm. Skin to skin is huge in myelinating this pathway. And you know what the other huge one is? Face-to-face contact with a face that's warm, welcoming, caring, calm. I say calm and I think mm, that's it's uh, there's this thing I'm sure people can tell I am a little bit excitable <laughs> and so often calm is not a description that would be addressed to me <laughs> I, don't, I don't get that like oh she's so centered and calm centered yes calm no um so When I say calm, what I mean actually is not like you have to look like a very Zen yoga teacher all the time. I'm not actually talking about that. What I'm talking about actually is inside of window of tolerance. So the window of tolerance is how much sympathetic nervous system charge your system can get without flipping into dysregulation scared warning state, like I was talking about last time I was here when we were talking about polybagel theory, warning state or a fight flight or a collapse would be out of window of tolerance, right? So on one end, one boundary of the edge of the space 
is the sympathetic wall. How fast and high can my heart rate get and still keep my up and down rhythm? Yep. Yep. That's one side. And then the other side is how calm can I get without getting dysregulated? Because you can get dysregulated and calm too. My heart rate could flatten. It could get way too low. I could lose the color in my face. I could feel like my hands are freezing. I could feel like I don't want to move. And these are not always things that we can see from the outside. Yeah, sometimes it's stuff you inside. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember this. There's a distinct time in my practice where it probably happened more than once, but mm-hmm. I learned this from my clients early mm-hmm. on where they would tell me, you know, I'm trembling inside. My entire body is shaking. And on mm-hmm. the outside, they looked completely calm, mm-hmm. but on the inside, they didn't feel calm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And so sometimes you can see it from the outside and sometimes you can't. So sometimes somebody might say, especially if big energy feels a little bit much for them because of whatever's going on for them in their history, they might say, I'm out of window of tolerance. So you can't tell from the outside either way. Like you could see somebody who looks calm and like, oh no, they're not calm. They're telling you they're trembling on the inside of them. Or you could see somebody who looks big, but has a pretty wide range naturally just in their DNA for handling a lot of sympathetic charge and they're actually okay. Right. They're not actually out of their window of tolerance. So it's super individual. So when we say window of tolerance, we mean how high revved can your system get and stay regulated, keep your whole brain intact and how low can your system get and still stay regulated, still keep that brain intact. So I just did this hand movement. It's like Dan Siegel's hand model of the brain. It's handy because <laughs> he likes those kind of jokes. He's such a dad joke guy. I love him. Okay. So in the palm of your hand, you put your brain stem, you fold your thumb over the middle like a little baby would. And that's going to be your subcortical system. Think limbic, basal ganglia, default mode network. And then we're going to curl our fingers around the top and it wraps the cortex wraps all the way around down under the thumb. That's actually true. That's exactly how it goes. And all of that is neocortex. If they are talking to each other and sharing information back and forth, and that cortex is going, limbic system, I see you. I love you. I've got it. So we have a pause between what we feel and what we do. We would say that's an integrated brain. Window of tolerance would be, how big can I get without my brain disintegrating? I don't mean disintegrating. I mean, not integrated. And sometimes what that looks like with the not integrated is our brain is actually operating. It's passing information on each different area, but they're not sharing information with each other. Mm. So let's say I totally lose it. Let's say I'm trying to get Stella in the car and we have the one play date we've had in a month with the one family we're open with and she will not get in the car and I've tried, I've been patient and I just lose it, right? And I go, Stella, get in the car! <laughs> that is not window of tolerance. And that, right? is not, I have, that is not soothing to your daughter. That is not soothing to my daughter mm-hmm. and I've lost... 
on my integration. And so my subcortical, my limbic, my basal ganglia, my default mode network, all the way down there was running my show. And the neocortex was not hooked up to go, shh, I got this. When it is hooked up, it says, shh, I got this. Let's say same scenario, but I don't lose my window of tolerance. I say, stop. I know you are so excited about this thing you are doing. Seriously, babe, we got to get in the car. Let's go. If you can't get in the car right now, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to get in the car because we are going to this thing. So even when I'm setting boundaries, I can still be meeting that soothing need if I'm staying in my window of tolerance. So when a baby's first born, they actually don't have a myelinated ventral vagus. So their heart rate is irregular. That's why rocking is so huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bruce Perry's work talks a ton about how to repair some of the natural rhythms of the brainstem. If anyone needs that, I direct you to his work. It is quite brilliant. He talks about drumming and moving, rocking, dancing, different ways we can use play to rework some of those really low rhythms for those of us who have really early trauma. So, oh, and matter. This one's so huge. And for our, I, I'm going to use a word that I don't like, and I'm going to tell you why I don't like it. For our more subtle versions of trauma, I said subtle. And when they show up in my system, when they show up in my client's system, they are not making subtle things happen. Mm-mm. It's actually quite big. And it's affected people. I, the only work, word I have for it is soul. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. like soul level breaking, tearing, destroying, depending on the level you've got. So I don't like that our community as a whole is calling it subtle, but it feels like a clear way to talk about the kinds of things I'm meaning. Yeah. And so when I say matter, we have this need to feel like we matter. It's mm-hmm. all about belonging. And basically it's, here's the question. I am born with a lot of needs. Is that okay with you? and because I'm this vulnerable little being (laughs) and so sometimes it's met with a parent who's like of course that's okay with me and don't worry we're gonna you know rupture and repair it a hundred times and we'll deal with that and also a lot of the times even when I'm having trouble meeting them Mm -hmm. they're okay with me yeah and sometimes that's not the message we get Sometimes we get a message that our needs are annoying or our needs are bother or our needs are discounted or ignored. And you're talking about getting these messages at what age again? Uh, Zero to five. Yeah. That's what I thought. I just wanted to be clear. (laughs) Yeah. 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 We're talking about, this would be mostly stuff you don't remember. Yeah. Right. Preverbal. Preverbal stuff. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So depending on my DNA, it may be easier to meet those needs than for other people. So if we thought about the, te- I don't have time to go into all the temperament research and how detailed it is for now, let's do the umbrella version. Some kind of the overview, let's say sensitive temperament, calm temperament, passionate temperament. 
So passionate is really excited about new, low wariness. Calm, middle, middle of both. Medium wariness, medium interest in new. Sensitive, wary towards new. Not too excited about new. And a little bit more on the wariness end in general. So high wariness, but low dopaminergic flow. What does that mean? Low dopamine. I'm not going to even try to say it. Don't worry about it. Dop- okay. Dop- <laughs> I'm not going to say it again. <laughs> Dopaminergic. Um, so in the very base of the brain, I love what Yakong Sep says about this. Um, this is the granddaddy seeking system. Are you going to move out into the world? How much dopamine you have is going to drive how far and fast and excited you are about that curious reach. And if I'm, I know we're, we're kind of giving the cliff note version of all of this, right? Totally. And I just have a few questions to kind of back us up into it because Mm -hmm. what you're talking about then is that this has a lot to do with our temperament, which is passed on through our DNA. So there's some of this that is just pure nature. It's not nurtured. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. So, Let's say I'm a parent who has a calm temperament, right? That's the majority of us, by the way, the majority of people, and it's a bell curve, right? Fall somewhere within that mid range. Some of us don't. Some of us are more on the passionate end. Some of us more on the sensitive end. So let's say I'm a parent with a calm temperament and I happen to give birth to a child with a sensitive temperament. And I bring out a red ball and do a normal parent move and go, look at the ball. And the baby goes, ah, ah. and I worry. I don't know what, the, why would you get scared of a ball? Oh, it's okay. It's just a ball. And I move the ball towards the baby's face and the baby's trying to get away. Gaze aversion, moving the head. And that is not because the parent is traumatizing the child. That's the parent is playing with a ball with their kid, right? But some of what we experience is dependent on our temperament, and that's just how we're born, you know, and that's fine. And I could move, I could be that same calm temperament parent and move that same ball. Let's say I had a passionate temperament kid, and I move that ball in front of their face, and they start looking at it and giggling and getting excited. And now I did the same exact move, and it wasn't painful at all. This is really more when we think about being with our kiddos and I'm going to say this. Um, I, I did learn a lot of this before my kiddo was born. I have a daughter, Stella, who's six. Notice she's six. I've already messed up all of the stuff I'm going to mess up to make this plane of reality she's sitting on. And even though I studied a lot of this stuff before, Every year I read more, every year I learn more, every year I unfold more um, in my own system and discover how to widen my window of tolerance myself. And so I have messed this up so many times. It's not too late. Don't worry. That's why memory reconsolidation. I love it. We're going to get there. So, but in order to understand memory reconsolidation, you have to understand a little bit about how the brain is put together in the first place. I so appreciate though that you're you're coming at at this to us 
from this place of, yeah, we all F this up some. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> we do. <laughs> I mean, and, and I think this is such an important piece because the more, the more work I do on kind of unfolding and unraveling my own stuff, and there's plenty of it for me to unravel, mm-hmm. even with all the work I've already done, um, mm-hmm. the more I realize I need that gentleness because it, that gentleness that like I've, I've already messed my kids up. I've already mm-hmm. done that. I have, I have a lot of room ahead of me where I have, you know, the, the, the more I do within myself, the more I can repair within us, the more mm-hmm. space I can hold, the more I can guide and all of that type of mm-hmm. stuff. And that gentleness also allows me the space of repairing relationships with those who came before me, yeah. whether they're alive or they're not alive anymore, which right. is an important piece of my own healing. And an important piece of what I passed out. Yeah. And actually, can I highlight that? I actually think it's an important part of everybody's healing. Uh-huh. And there's something about this particular piece that's been a gift for me. Um, just like I'm not a perfect parent or didn't do it in an ideal way every moment. Certainly, my parents didn't either. I came to this work because I have some of this stuff in my history, too. Yeah. But understanding this piece about it, so I'm weird. I'm in the smallest category. I am a passionate temperament type. I don't scare easy. I move towards exciting things. We are a very small portion of the DNA pool because we die early. (laughs) We're very, we're not risk averse enough to survive it. (laughs) We're bold. (laughs) but this is DNA stuff. There are some ways that some of the stuff that happened early on hit me that has nothing to do with them messing up or not doing their work or whatever. They did their work. They didn't do their work. That's their journey. But some of the stuff, the way it's landed for me is actually this weird thing that just happens on earth where I actually don't have the same temperament type as one of my parents. In fact, one of my parents is on the opposite spectrum. In terms of if you're passionate, they're sensitive. They're sensitive type. Mm -hmm. So notice, uh, if you were to guess where you are, where would you guess? Oh, me? I'm on the sensitive side. Yeah. I I was going to guess that too. Yeah. And so are my children and my husband. (laughs) Yeah. And so I have a sensitive temperament type husband Mm -hmm. and I have a passionate temperament type child. Mm. And so this poor man, sensitive temperament type that he is, lives with two women who are passionate temperament types. (laughs) He's got a lot of big female energy around him. (laughs) Having met him. (laughs) Yes, he is brilliant. Oh, my sweet husband. He is, and, and he has some passion in there too. He does. No, he has plenty. Here's the thing. Here's the cool thing. Passionate and sensitive temperament types, actually a lot of the time, especially when they have a wider window of tolerance, mm-hmm. really dig each other. Yeah. Because both types Alan. are actually, they're actually really good at riding roller coaster. Ah. So passionate temperament types are with their feelings. Sensitive temperament types are whoa, 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 with their feelings. Calm or like, 
did something happen? I didn't, um, I didn't really feel anything about it. I don't know. It was fine. So there's something about these two types where they have an actually kind of similar experience in the world. There's this one thing both have in common. They feel feelings huge in their body. Yeah. In the passionate side, it moves fast from one feeling to the next. In the sensitive type, it moves it like molasses. Mm-hmm. The timing of it is different. But the, the way we experience life is actually really similar. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So there are ways that I felt shut down by my parent growing up that had nothing to do with anything other than her managing a sensitive temperament type. Yeah. Yeah. She was just doing her world the way she knows how to do her world. And here she had this kiddo who's like, (laughs) which, you know, for a long time I closed myself down and felt really bad about. And I've come to a space where I'm just uh, really appreciating that those differences are part of what makes our world so lovely and adventurous and colorful. And I think the more we can welcome however our core selves show up in this world, the better relational health we're going to have. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking through this, um, through like through the lens of, a of a moment my husband and I have shared with each other mm. where, um, we boiled down some really tough stuff that we were going through down to a deeper understanding of kind of the lens that we both enact the world with right mm. where and, and this comes from our ch- from our childhoods from our backgrounds and for me it's very much you know one of not being understood and of mm-hmm. seeking validation because that was never there for me totally and for him it's very much one of feeling invisible mm-hmm. and i'm thinking about those pieces and i'm thinking gosh those line up with these five needs you've just described of needing yeah. to feel safe and heard and seen and soothed and that you matter like mm-hmm. that those pieces line right up there yeah yeah yep. and so this this deeper understand and and for us being able to understand that that was what was underneath everything and i think we're going to get to this and how this mm-hmm. lines up with relational health and mm-hmm. but but the the how how that lined up for us, how we kind of understood that piece for ourselves, mm-hmm. that shifted the entire conver- the entire hard, difficult conversation that we were um, butting heads in the midst of for days mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. this one of like, oh, oh, I could be that for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. It, it was like it, everything kind of melts. I could moment. show you that you matter to me. I could show you that I see and hear you. Yeah. Yeah. That's Hello, what you you're not the problem. The history of these unmet needs are the problem. Right. And not just that, but what specific story you personally have that was born out of that mix of DNA and experience and how many times the experience happened and how your brain is creative in its unique way. 
And I, I love doing memory reconsolidation work because it feels as unique as a fingerprint to me. Yeah. So I've actually not run across the same exact one twice. Yet. That's so fun. Isn't it fun? Yeah. I like new. Okay. So take us deeper. Right. Okay. So you born mm-hmm. and you have all these experiences and some needs are met and some needs are not. And hopefully we get most of them met, but a lot of times we don't. And in truth, 33% of meeting is fine and 33% of repair is fine and 33% of mismatch is fine. So everybody calm down. So, so just to interpret what you just said there, mm-hmm. the 33s, all those 33%, mm-hmm. what you're basically saying is it's okay if one third of the time you're meeting each other's needs and another mm-hmm. third of the time you're completely missing each other's needs uh-huh. and another third of the time you're missing and repairing. That's right. Okay. That is exactly what I'm saying. Isn't that cool? To get an so cool. A in this course, you only need to get a 33. I think most of us can accomplish that. <laughs> totally. This is the great news. Um, and this is the great news about our own resiliency and flexibility. And, and it's the uh, same, by the way, in, when it comes to parenting, right? We just need to get a 33. Yeah. Yeah. That's true for yeah. 100% of relationships. Yeah. If you are met a third of the time, and this is an important piece of it, and a third of the time when somebody misses, they notice and try to fix it. That means we got six. This is huge. Yeah. Yeah. Go that's ahead. huge. I was going to yeah. say, it's not really a 33 we're aiming for then. It's more of like a 66. Yeah. More of like a 66. Okay. Yeah. But notice you could bumble a whole third of that. Yeah. So my repair could look like, let's say you and I had something, I don't know, whatever we got into a thing and I saw some shift in your tone or some shifts in your face. And I went, Oh, wait, 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 slow down. Did, did I just hurt you? And I don't even have to know what I did or did I screw it up or not? Or if it, you try and then you try to explain it and let's say it was true and you tried to explain it, but I'm like not understanding what you're saying and I'm trying and you're still feeling, but I'm hanging in there. I still, I still got my check mark for the day. Right. Because you hung in for that conversation. Because I hung in for that conversation and notice what need safe, soothed seen, heard, matter would be met here. One, the fact that I'm identifying it, I'm seeing and hearing you. And the fact that I'm hanging in there means you matter enough to me. I'm willing to hang in discord with you. That is so big. And thank you, by the way, for being willing to be in that space with me, even if it's just hypothetical. For sure. It is so big. To have someone who will hang out in discord with you. Discord is, I'm going to give a plug here for a new book that just came out, Ed Tronick's new book called The Power of Discord. I haven't. I haven't read it. I haven't. Oh my God. I just finished it. Yeah. It's so amazing. Yeah. And it's all about how discord is required to build trust in our own resiliency and how discord is required to build trust with each other. Oh. And you cannot actually do it without it. There is no trust without it. You need to have it to be you able to You actually need to it have it. Because the repair cycle is where the trust is built. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. The trust isn't built by somebody being there 100% of the time. The trust is built by being able to tolerate that somebody isn't, but they keep showing back up. Totally. Mm-hmm. All these experiences mm-hmm. 
we have. And by the age of five, we have like a rough blueprint of how the world works. Yeah. And some of it would include stuff like what is grass on this planet? Do things fall down? So gravity exists, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So some of it's like, what, what should you eat and not eat? I was raised in a culture where bugs are not food, but there are lots of people who are raised in a culture where bugs are food. Right. Right. So that's just a different way of seeing like labeling things. So a lot of our labels are in place there. Um, and a lot of our patterns about our knowings here's, I like to think of it as a psychological floor. And for anybody who's in psychotherapy land, think like schema, because that's your vocabulary. But I love the word psychological floor because I think it carries the potency of it. The weight of it. The weight of it. The psychological floor is made up of emotional knowings. Hmm. The emotional knowing carries two things, what to expect and how I should react to increase well-being, increase safety, increase justice, or decrease suffering. So the psychological floor is made up of a bunch of emotional knowings about how the entire earth works and how relationships function and who am I made up of a series of reflections that have been shown to me. And this is established around the age of five. It's some of them are even established by two or three, but it's established as a, as a baseline by five and it stays hyper flexy up until your brain stops growing. Which and is it's actually, which is around 25, 26. Mm-hmm. And then it's harder to get a hold of. And the reason I call it a psychological floor, the reason I love this term is because it is as real and as unconscious as the floor while you are walking to go get a glass of water. It's the reality you are treading on. Got it. I'm thinking it's like, it's like a, it's like a thing that we just, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you yeah, there. No, you're fine. Um, but it, it very much feels like uh, it's so taken for granted that it's not something we consider. Yeah. You don't even know, you know, him. it's, I'm thinking of a, a line from a moment in or an early part of my work with a couple where the gentleman said, I don't blame her. I'm a very difficult person to love. That is a psychological floor knowing that was coming to the surface. Or here's one of mine that's really hard. When we bring in an example later, later when we get to the end of it, I'll talk about this one again. I'm on my own here. Don't worry, I'll work harder. So I'm on my own here is the emotional knowing about what to expect. I will work harder is how I learned to fix that problem. Right. So I'm hearing a wounded child in there. I'm on my own and I'm hearing an adapted child. I'll work harder. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Neither of which is really fully integrated. 
Right. Unless you do the memory reconsolidation work. Mm -hmm. Right. So here's the thing. Before the year 2000, I love research so much. Before the year 2000, it was thought that a long-term potentiation pattern that was held in the subcortical system was absolutely unable to readjust, to move in any way. It is locked. It is locked forever. What fires together, wires together is the word we would often hear about this. That was prior to 2000. So a long-term potentiation pattern is a fancy way of saying when these neurons fire in this way, they often fire in the same order in the same pattern. And it was thought that when it's in that lower part of the brain, once it's there, it's there. And so most therapy was really not even attempting to restructure those knowings, but more like kind of in a CBT sort of way. It's why CBT can often be as effective as it is, honestly, is I'm going to feel that knowing come up, but I'm going to develop a way of questioning it from the top down. Yeah. So I can create a pause between this emotional knowing is what I feel and what I do. So now I don't do the behavior anymore. The knowing still comes up, but I've trained my brain to think about that knowing differently. And now I don't act on it. Okay. So let's say the knowing is everyone abandons me and my old solution was having a drink. And I went to CBT therapy and I got the skills to see that everyone abandoning me isn't really totally true in my life anymore. And I could reach out to a friend instead. And wouldn't that be more effective than numbing myself with a drink? And so I've developed a way to respond to that knowing with self-soothing, with a pause, with a choice that's more healthy. Yeah. And that is a great way to handle things. There's nothing wrong with that way of handling things. But after 2000, something really excited happened. It started with crabs. They started doing this research in crabs, no kidding. And they were looking at long-term potentiation patterns and wondering if they could shift. And it turns out they could. Now with crabs, they were doing them with like electrical probes <laughs> and chemicals. <laughs> you don't want to do it that way in, an, in a human brain. And actually, I'm, I'm all about animal rights, so I don't even want us to do it with crabs. But the, that is how it, the research started. So over the years, they have tried this whole thing with many, many, many different species. And so far... They have not found a species that does not do something they've termed memory reconsolidation. Mm -hmm. So for all the therapists out there who like this podcast, I'm going to tell you something crazy cool. Memory reconsolidation is a name created by neuroscientists to describe a normal process in the brain. It does not belong to any therapy. There are many therapies that utilize it. Probably the guy who's known best for this is a guy named Bruce Ecker, who wrote a book called Unlocking the Emotional Brain. And he created something called coherence therapy, which operates 
really with this principle at its hub. So here's the thing they discovered is if you can activate in an embodied lived experience, an emotional knowing, and at the same time, activate another experience, either in vivo in real time right now, or in my mind's eye, either way will work, but it's also embodied. If they're embodied at the same time, and it, it, the second one is a mismatch to what was expected. Because it doesn't match the initial knowing? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. If the new experience does not match the initial knowing and the network is fully active at the time, it will not work if it's just another layer if it's not active at the time. But if it's active at the time, what's going to happen is this network, the original one, gets confused and it goes, it freaks out and it tries to rewire, but it can't because it's facing that its reality was just contradicted. So so can I pause us here for a Mm -hmm. second? Because our last episode Mm -hmm. was the episode with Lashonda Sugg. And we talked about doing some deep experiential work in that episode. And I was sitting there listening to that brilliant episode going, amen, memory consolidation. <laughs> yeah. And so, so I'm just kind of pointing that out because for those who don't exactly know what we're talking about, we talk about it without knowing what we're necessarily talking about. But that's what you're bringing us back to is that's what this type of experiential work does. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that's why experiential therapies are doing something really different than some of our more cognitive therapies. Is there within these experiential therapies that are doing this type of work? Mm-hmm. I've heard you talk about this before, so mm-hmm. I'm leading you somewhere. Sure. Is, is there a certain amount of time that we need to kind of drop into that experience for in order for this memory reconsolidation to occur? Sure. Let me be really, really, really clear about it. In order for this to work and to have the embodiment up, there has to be enough safety that my brain does not totally disintegrate. Yeah. I have to actually have it hooked up because I'm going to need that prefrontal cortex observing self to move back and forth four to five times between these knowings in order for it to really take. And the actual moment of reconsolidation, the actual moment of the original neural network skew takes about one second. Then there is a five hour window where that network will remain open to continue to take in mismatched information. The more information you take in in that five-hour period that mismatches it, the more the original network, when it reconsolidates, consolidate means it has a long-term potentiation pattern now. So it was consolidated. It's split open. It's taking new information. It will never fire the same way again. It cannot do it. It reconsolidates and now it holds the new info. The more moments you have in that five hour period where you are, you are already 
you're giving a verification of the yeah. mismatch that was received in the moment of the split. The more often you do that, the more it's going to take in that new information. So when it's reconsolidated, whoo, awesome. And now I hold my new knowing. So let's say I'm dealing with... Which can become a new floor. It's, it, it's changing. It's, I think of it as foundation repair. Yeah. Yeah. So when I'm doing memory reconsolidation work, what I'm doing is I'm punching holes in your psychological floor and rewiring and redoing the foundation down there. I've been, I've been taught to think about it um, as rearranging the furniture, Mm -hmm. but I like this idea about putting in a new foundation. It really is. I'm at, we're actually going to dig into the floor and actually put a whole new foundation underneath mm-hmm. that has a load of different meanings that are not the meanings you grew up with, are not right. the meanings you've lived from. Yeah. What's brilliant about it is it literally takes one second. Once, literally it does. There now, are fireworks going off in my brain right now. Totally. I know that that can't be seen, but I just want to state it. <laughs> What's super exciting about it is that it is that fast. And if you're mindful about how you behave after the, the juxtaposition and the split, you could really rewire in a single go. Oh my go. goodness. There's so much potential. There's so much potential here. And there are lots of therapies that are doing this without realizing it. And there are lots of therapies that are doing it and they realize it. Mm-hmm. The ones that are doing it and realizing it are slightly more efficient, mostly. And I'm going to give a caveat to this. The other ones I've seen that are incredibly efficient are our long form therapies, experientials and intensives. Mm -hmm. Because you're staying in the experience long enough, you're just automatically going to get it. But those, it's not as common that I see the, the long form experiential people talking about it in this way. So they may or may not understand what's going on. They're just having the experience of doing it this way works. Yeah. So the five hours is such a huge, important piece. Yeah. It's that I highlight for clients. Even if I am working, I actually do long form therapy. Mostly most of my sessions are at least two hours, but some of them are as long as four and five and six hours with couples, with individuals. I work long form because what I'm trying to do is rewire. I'm trying to do foundation repair. So what was I going to say? Something about, Mm, I lost it. It's all right. It'll always come back to me. Do you want an example? I would love an example. I want to talk with, with you. And I know you have a lot to say about this too, about something Terry real calls C in eyes. Yeah. Our core negative images. That's right. Mm -hmm. So there's this thing that is part of relational life therapy. Yeah. And is actually part of the boot camp that we're going to be doing together. The essential skills boot camp coming up. We're going to set this up for couples. <laughs> I'm so excited. So here's the deal: is that the I'm going to give you like the brief overview of core negative image work, and then we're going to tie it back. And I'll give you an example of how my husband and I have used it to yes. consolidate something in me. I remembered what I was going to say. Should I go back and say it or no? Yeah, go ahead. Important. Okay. Hold that thought. I'll be right back to that. Okay. The, the deal though is the brain has to be safe enough 
to be in the experience of whatever the emotional knowing is without flipping your lid. Okay. So flipping your lid is when we go back to that hand model that you were talking about before, right? And so my limbic is giving all the information up, but my prefrontal cortex is not giving, shh, calm down, sweetie. I got you information back down. If that's happening, this will not work. You have to have an intact brain. Mm -hmm. So for some of my people, even though it does take one second, once we get it, to get all of the things just right so that the brain can stay safe and I can reactivate the trauma network in an embodied way, but without you flipping at the same time. Right. That could take some time. When you say that can take some time. Depends on what you're dealing with. Right. So, so like I have noticed in my own process Mm -hmm. that I come in and out of these moments where um, I've got it. And then, oh, there goes my lid, mm-hmm. right? And then mm-hmm. for a longer period of time, I'll have it again. And then, oh, there goes my lid. Yeah. And then I got it even better this time. And this time I can stay there longer. And then, oh, there goes my lid again. Like I mm-hmm. have moments of still not always having it all integrated. You and me have, both, sister. Right. And I have mm-hmm. longer and longer moments of feeling and and more powerful moments where the more I practice it, the more I make it into literally a practice, mm-hmm. the longer I can stay in the more connected, more integrated moments, mm-hmm. even in the middle of something that would typically flip my lid. Right. Yeah. Right. And that can take years. Years. <laughs> it can. It can take years. So this gets back. We're kind of weaving it all full circle now. We're putting it into a tap. It's not a circle. It's more like a tapestry that we're creating. Yeah. So my window of tolerance has got to be wide enough that I could hold the experience of a very painful knowing without my brain disintegrating, mm-hmm. without my brain coming apart. My window of tolerance has to be wide enough that I can Mm -hmm. hold the experience of a very painful knowing Mm -hmm. without flipping my lid. Yeah. With keeping my prefrontal cortex online. And you know, there's, as you were talking about it, there's a story I made up about what was happening for you from a memory reconsolidation perspective. Would that be okay? Totally. So my guess is there's two emotional knowings playing out simultaneously. Uh One is an emotional knowing of whatever the original pain is that you're triggered by. You had some event pull on the implicit thread in the back of your mind and brought that neural network that knows how to answer that particular trigger. It's up, right? There's whatever that pain is, but there's a second pain that says, Rebecca cannot tolerate this level I'm out. That's a second knowing. This level of pain is not okay, and I'll flip. And because the practice, that's what my brain wants to do. It wants to keep me safe. It wants to keep you safe. So right. if I lose my shit, if I dissociate, if I shut down, whatever if I run away, thing is, if I, exactly, whatever the thing is, whatever, I, whatever the thing is, if I do that, I will decrease suffering, increase safety, increase well-being, or increase justice. Or do all of those all at once. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so what's really cool is that you've done a slow version of memory reconsolidation yeah. with this practice. 
So the expectation in the second layer of knowing, I'm not talking about the first layer, the second layer of knowing, the expectation is, well, Becca can handle this level of pain. And then you have this practice where you practice sticking in there and staying with it. And it goes, wait a second, I thought this was impossible. Right. And then it just got juxtaposed, but only one time. Mm-hmm. If we were to do it, in the fast version, we actually go back and forth over it, holding both knowings with deep empathy simultaneously, like five times. But doesn't matter. The practice, oh, practice is like the biggest news I have for my therapy people. I'm like, coming to therapy is not enough. You need to create a practice and we can co-create it together. And it can be unique just to you because there's no way for you to move from trigger, I just flip automatically, to state, I can handle this on purpose if I try, to trait, it is automatic that I handle this without practice. Practice Mm. is the only way. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Yeah. So you actually did a slow memory reconsolidation Uh and that emotional knowing that second layer, no longer with you. Right. Rebecca can handle this. I can handle a lot. Yeah. You know? we can and do it's hard things. It's it's like it's it's this um I think the first ones, the first time the first ones got probably reconsolidated for me. It happened in a more intensive experience. Yeah. Right. And this is huge. And then the practice it's for me. It's because of the five hour window. Yeah. The practice for me has occurred in the real life experiences. Mm-hmm. that happen after those intensive experiences. Mm-hmm. So I think both, it's like, it's a both end. It's not an either mm-hmm. or it's a, you know, sometimes we need the help or the facilitation to get there or those longer therapeutic experiences. Yep. And there's also the responsibility on each and every one of us that we have to practice this in our lives with intention, yes. with consciousness, with, with a softness and yes. a willingness of I, I'm leaning in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And a practice could be as simple as um, I'm the next time I get really mad at my kid, I'm going to treat my mad parts with kindness. Mm-hmm. That could be, mm-hmm. it could be, it could be, yep, hard day. Sometimes it's a hard day and I touch my heart and I'm, and I'm yeah. apologize to my kid and I move on. That could be my practice. It could yeah. be that simple. It could be as complex as a CNI, which involves a partner. So we're going to bring it back to the CNIs. Okay, so core negative image. So to review where we were. So core negative image is the story my adaptive child has about my partner's adaptive child tendencies on his very, very worst day. And to give you the full arc of it, and then I'm going to go back in detail a little bit. So the, the full arc of it is you identify the core negative images inside yourself. Don't speak them out loud yet. Don't try this at home. You, you guys need help yeah, doing you, this one. You need don't, help with this. I want to do a caveat. This one, I'm going to tell you about it, but I really don't recommend trying this one at home on your own because it can really blow up in your face because this is hard work. This is like champion level memory reconsolidation. So you, you 
you get come to, to know boot that. camp. We'll take you come, through it. Come to, come to boot camp. We actually do the whole process in a way that's a little bit more holding and regulated. So I figure out what my core negative image is of my partner's name is Adam. Um, so I figure out like on his very worst day, the part of his brain that's most protecting himself. What does he do? And I come up with that. And we do it on the inside first, and then we talk it out with somebody who's not our partner and kind of get it straight. And then with our partner's permission only, we share it. And we, we share them at the same time. And my job when I hear my partner's core negative image of me is to accept it as, yeah, it's probably an exaggeration. It's probably a terrible version of me, but it's as true. <laughs> You're not wrong, honey. (laughs) Right now. And then what you do is you create a dead stop contract. What a dead stop contract is, is an agreement that if we say those words, or if you don't like dead stop, some other words that you've agreed on, when you, when either partner throws those words, you have a set of a a practice behavior or practice statement, whatever that you're going to do immediately. So you want to give us an example? Yeah. Okay. So my, my um, core negative image of my partner, and we're going to hear how this actually leads back to my history. It's important. I can be terrible in all sorts of ways. Adam can be terrible in all sorts of ways. We're humans. That's what we do. But the ones that get me are actually pulling on implicit threads from my history. Right. So my core negative image is that of your partner of my partner is when things get hard, you are going to shut down and leave me alone. Mm. Can you feel how that actually calls back? And I know what to do. I know I'm alone in this world and I know what I need to do is work harder. Yep. And we're, we're right back there. With, Mm -hmm. do you feel safe? Do you feel heard? Do you feel seen? Do you feel soothed? Do you feel like you matter? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And alone, that uh, not heard, not seen, not matter is kind of my trifecta personally. Mm -hmm. Um, So if I call a dead stop contract, one, I have to know I'm flooded by the experience of the thing. Yeah. I have to breathe myself down so I don't move into my own acting out behaviors. Right? That brings us so a one. I got triggered enough to flip my lid. Mm-hmm. Now I took a breath and I went, you got this, Jules. Bring it back together. You got this. This is not going to be the end of the world. You've been alone a lot. It's fine. If you stay alone in this moment, it's going to be okay. Right? So now I brought my brain back into integration. So one, I have to know that this is happening for me and I'm telling myself this negative story about you and I have to breathe myself down and attack my brain again before I do it. So on, on the, the receiving, so I'm going to receive the healing in this story, but on the receiving end, I have some work to do in order to prep my brain to be ready for it. Yep. And I go, honey, dead stop. And he says, you know what? You're right. I think I should make a bath for you. Don't worry. I got the dishes. Also, I was noticing I've been putting off fixing that microwave. I'm going to get a repair guy on it tomorrow, sweetie. That's our dead stop contract. 
is he yeah. does something to acknowledge I'm stressed, take care of me and take care of something in the house so that I don't have to do it. That's our dead stop contract. Yep. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so the second I call it, that's our agreement is the second I call a dead stop. He just does the thing he's prepped to do. So we had this whole discussion before this happened. Right. We planned the dead stop contract. Here's what's crazy about memory reconsolidation is I could set it up. I could tell you I'm about to do it. I could tell you, and by the way, here it comes. Here's the network smash. You ready? And do it. And you still have the same experience every time, <laughs> which is one of surprise, confusion, or dizziness. That's how I know I got it. So the first time we did a dead stop in real life, I was shocked to the point of losing my feet a little bit. Like I, I actually swayed. I grabbed the counter because I was swaying. That is really normal for people who have a little bit heavier trauma history. Uh-huh. Because surprise is often a knowing that's coupled with danger. And so we go a little dissociative. Fair. Right? So what's happening is surprise is the normal response. That's the normal emotional response to a juxtaposition that skewed a network. I was expecting one thing. I didn't get that thing. I have to rewire the network so it matches now what actually is coming at me. You shocked me. Right? And I get surprised. And so your response is going to be one of the things that goes with surprise, surprise itself or confusion. Or if surprise holds some danger for you, don't worry. You're going to like get tunnel vision and go a little wonky. (laughs) That's great. That's like one of my favorite feelings in therapy. I'm like, oh, yay. Good. You're dissociating. Fabulous. I think we got it there. (laughs) And this is why we're encouraging you not to do this on your own. Exactly. This really is requiring guidance, guys. Yeah. But this is the overview of how it actually happens and how you can not only do this in a therapy office, but you could set up in a therapy office how to have in vivo reconsolidation experiences. And by the way, it it did not just touch the relationship with my husband. What it touched was the emotional knowing of aloneness that I have within yourself as a child. Yeah. Yeah. That's the part that was reconsolidated. And you know what was funny is after this moment, I noticed that I wanted to be kinder to my parents. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. I'm bringing it back to that intergenerational healing you were talking about. Yeah. I'd been, when this happened, I'd been in a lot of deep therapy work and um, had been feeling the stress of that and feeling some agitation. And, and when I do agitation, I usually do distance. I'm a little one who does more cold shutdown. So I'd been pretty distant with my family of origin people who all live pretty close to me. And, and I found that after I did that, there was a lot more grace in me mm-hmm. after this thing happened. After yeah. this thing happened that, that we had set up, you had set up, but then you actually, mm-hmm. um, we actually executed it at home yeah. and it was literally like, a, Oh, you're not alone. Yeah. Like an undoing of profound aloneness and in, in one second. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this mm-hmm. is, this is where everything's at. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's to me, it's this and it's safety. 
how how can we create safety with each yeah. other? And I don't mean that in a soft, calm way. I don't know if you've caught this yet. I'm not that calm. No, I caught that. Um, <laughs> I, I think I, I think I know this about you. <laughs> um, safety means something different than soft and calm. Yeah. Safety means the space between us is one that we are both tending to, and that when when things need repair, we will tend to that too. Yeah. To trusting, to trusting that we're showing up to do the repair. Yeah. And trusting that if, if my partner can't show up to do the repair that second, that doesn't mean they won't hold responsibility for that and come back. Because the holding of the responsibility for it to, to be responsible, right? Like that, that is the part that says essentially implicitly that you matter. Mm-hmm. And that they see you and that they hear you, that mm-hmm. they understand you, right? And that's well, that's worth doing something hard for. Yeah. Which is huge. And the thing is, is if we treat each other like you're worth doing something hard for, then we're creating safety. So to me, it's like both and they're equal. We hold safety and we hold it at brainstem level and we hold it on the epigenetic level and we hold it on the level of the muscle and we hold it on the level of the fascia and we hold it in the level of the limbic and we hold it in the level of the neocortex. Yeah. We hold safety up, 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 up on all these levels. And we use that safety to meet the space that's going to hold the brain integrated enough to do the memory consolidation. My brain wants to know so much more about memory <laughs> consolidation and at the same time, it's, it's loaded for now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, you know, what, what's coming up for me is um, I'm actually thinking of uh, two interviews I did with Heidi Schleifer. Mm. And um, she talks some about memory reconsolidation too, which I think is mostly because so much of her work is done in long form. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and done in, in this duality actually at the same time too, where um, she guides couples to holding like to introducing their partners to uh, their neighborhoods, right? Via taking taking each other through and saying, like this, this is me essentially. This is what mm-hmm. I. These are these are my survival knots. These are the things that I struggle the most with, and I mm-hmm. want you to know them. And I want mm-hmm. you to to help by coming along and and knowing this part of me, so that you can be my champion, um, mm-hmm. right? And so it's this beautiful play of of work and the way she describes it is, is um, it's so evocative and it takes you right into this place that, that you're talking about. And one of the things that, that excites me about her work is that she says things like world peace begins with the human family. And what mm-hmm. I hear in that is that we can, these things are so important to know that um, you can be safe and you can be seen and you can be heard and understood and that you matter. And, mm-hmm. And it starts so much in our most intimate relationships that this yeah. is really the place where we get to drill in and, mm-hmm. and make these huge, huge, like monumental shifts. Mm-hmm. We can move mountains here. We can move mountains and we can do it in a second, but we need safety and we mm. need follow up. Yeah. And we need a container that can help us learn how to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you want folks to know, Jules, about our boot camp that's coming up? 
oh my gosh um that if you want it to be it can be life transforming Mm -hmm. that the way I ran into RLT uh, relational life therapy is what RLT stands for. The way I introduced myself to this work after seeing a video of Terry's work and being intrigued is I signed my husband and I up for a boot camp, and it was so transformative to our marriage that I, it's hard for me to even wrap words around it. And he was a reluctant participant a bit. He's, he's game for whatever because he's amazing. Um, but he was a little bit like, really a couple's workshop. I'm like, yeah, but I really want to check it out for like my profession and it helped me do it if you did it with me. So anyway, he did it. He was game. And, uh, this, the next year it came, it came closer to the time he goes, well, we're going back and doing that again. Right. It really helped. And so we went again and then we made an annual thing. I love that. We've actually been many, many times as a couple. Yeah. My husband and I have gone ourselves as well. And, um, it was an anniversary gift he gave me one year to show up with me there. It was so beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even if you're an individual and there are plenty of individuals who go, um, the kinds of tools, there's a scaffolding that happens in the workshop where we're saying, okay, this tool comes first and then this one and then this one. And one of the reasons I was so attracted to Terry's work was because when I saw it, I went, oh my God, he's following patterns of the brain. Mm -hmm. So it's scaffolded in exactly the way that you need it to be, to be able to hold your brain intact, even when you're in relational stress. Yeah. So yeah, come be, explore, learn, practice, practice, practice is huge in RLT and practice is huge in changing brain. So, yeah. Well, so thank you so much for joining here. And I hope that folks who are listening, get excited about this and join us for our boot camp. Can Um, we say one thing about Vicki? We can say more than one thing about Vicki. Oh my God. Okay. So she's not on this one and we should have her on. We should have her on. We should have her on somehow. Um, But Vicki is also going to be doing it with us. Yes. She is such a great therapist. She's out of Boston. She's got amazing depth and amazing clarity. And I just feel so honored to be able to do it with the two of you. Oh my goodness. Yes. The, The three of us actually and our husbands. All just yes. kind of, um, we were we were in Mexico training with Terry to lead these boot camps, right. and the three of us just gravitated towards each other. The the six of us gravitated yes. towards each other, and um, it was just kind of that was it. Like there mm-hmm. there was no other. Yeah, we didn't hang out it, with it, anybody oh, else. Sorry, everybody <laughs> else. Um, <laughs> It, it was just, it was perfect. Yeah, it was totally yep. perfect. Um, and so it yep. makes sense that that we're all doing this together. And I love the energy that Vicky brings. She mm-hmm. brings um, such a a playful humor mm-hmm. along with her stories and and just a, a sense of relatableness that yeah I think is so grounding. Yeah. I totally love what she's bringing to this. So yeah. I think the three of us together are going to have so much fun with this. And I think our the participants who are joining us are going to get so much from it. I'm so excited yeah. for them. I'm so excited to be able yeah. to make the invitation. Totally. Yeah. 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 And maybe we'll just say one more thing about the boot camp yeah. before we go. And that's just that if there are 
um, therapists who want to come, they're totally welcome to come as well. And there are actually even CEUs available to those who come, you can come on your own or you can bring your partner and, um, you're, you're a participant. Yep. Not an observer. This is not an observer. There's no observers here. It's all participants. And, um, I know this was helpful for my husband to hear, um, when I talked to him about it is that you're a participant at exactly the level that feels comfortable to you. It is actually a large group. And so you could share in the large group, but there are also lots of opportunities to share with just one or two other people. Yeah. And so it can be, it doesn't have to be ex- overexposing if that feels scary to you. It's actually got a lot of safety there. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, Jules, tell folks how they can also find you. Sure. Um, IPNBAustin.com is my site. And I have a brand new site and a brand new offering. And it's going to be launched probably by the time this goes live. If not, it will be soon. It's called cleariskind.com. And it's my site for my writing and my teaching. And and I just finished laying down a 12-hour course called Brains in Session for a therapist. And it has CEUs attached. And so that'll be coming really soon. And you can find all the info about it there. Wonderful. So clear, Thank you clear so is much. Kind. So we'll include both of your URLs yeah. um, yep. with this. Thank you so awesome. much. Thanks. Oh, and we'll thank have you back you. on again soon. I love it. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thank you. We really hope that you loved that episode and that you're as excited about this work as we are. If you made it all the way through that episode, you're certainly feeling it with us. Hi, it's Jules again. Vicki said this great thing, and I really want to highlight it and pull that piece out. She said it's skills without the therapy. And this is so essential, I think, for people to understand as they're coming in, is that it's an invitation and offering to pick up a ton of stuff. But there's no pressure. There's not going to be moments where you're going to be put on the spot where you didn't want to. There's not going to be moments where you have to do some deep process if that's not where you are. If where you are is deep process, that can absolutely be a part of it. And if where you are is more in a listener space, that is cool too. And you will still get so much out of it. Because it's not really about deep, deep therapy. It's skills one, skills two, and <laughs> again. And I'm so excited that people can do it, even if they're feeling a little nervous about like, ooh, a lot of touchy-feely stuff, too much for me. Feels. Don't worry. If that's too much for you, this is this is the workshop for you. And I don't know about you, ladies, but I feel like the invitation is go as go as deep as is right for you. Mm-hmm. Totally. 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 I'm so excited for this weekend and it is going to be such a great training. Please join us. And again, for more information, go to connectfulness.com slash offerings. And remember it's an online offering. So you can join from the comfort of your own home. And I want to remind you while these episodes will guide you into the connectfulness practice, this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for the depth of work that you'd encounter with a licensed provider. If something in this episode touches you, reach out. That's where you initiate the ripple that restores relationships. Listeners often ask how they can support the ongoing production of the Connectfulness Practice podcast. Truly, the very best way that you can is simply to subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcasting platform. 
and hop on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. It also always helps when you share episodes that you love with your friends and following. I want to express deep gratitude for Sarah and Chris Ferris, the musicians behind the beautiful soundtrack for the Connectfulness Practice Podcast, which was recorded and mixed at Kidney Stone Studio. This podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, and copyrighted by Connectfulness Counseling. Talk to you again soon. Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com slash events.